from the White House, condemnation of Georgia's new voting laws. It's an atrocity. You don't need anything else to know that this is nothing but punitive designed to keep people from voting. Demonstrators gathered in the State House as the Republican governor signed the sweeping measures behind closed doors. Why is the governor trying to sign something in private? One state legislator was arrested for banging on the door. Please stop pulling on the handcuffs. Georgia voted for Joe Biden in the presidential election, then sent two Democratic senators to Congress in a runoff election. It's anti-democratic. It's un-American. They're trying to make it harder for people to vote rather than making it easier uh, for people to vote. Here are some of the key measures in the new law. There will be voter ID number required for absentee voting. That replaces the old signature checks. There will be a limit on the number of drop boxes for early voters in each county, so it will be less convenient. The law makes it an offence to hand out food and drink to those waiting in line to vote, and those lines get long. But it does expand in-person early voting. The man who signed the bill into law says this cuts the chances of electoral fraud. Georgians will no doubt be soon overwhelmed with fancy TV ads, mailers and radio spots attacking this common sense election reform measure. In fact, left-wing groups funded by out-of-state billionaires are already doing that now. They're using outrageous, false rhetoric to scare you and put millions of dollars in their own pocket. There was no fraud. This is not about fraud. The only thing that this is a response to is the increased voter turnout of black and brown voters in the state of Georgia. Georgia's election process is already seen as one of the most efficient in the country. So critics claim this is a solution to a problem that never existed, one imagined by Donald Trump and his supporters. It will put pressure on politicians in Washington, especially Democrats, to come up with a national baseline for voting rules and regulations, and to do it soon. Alan Fisher, Al Jazeera. Not everybody in the community, in the Hispanic and the African-American community, know how to use, know how to get online to determine how to get in line for that COVID vaccination. And they currently have recommendations out that with the current level of transmission in Bonneville County, that we should be in hybrid for the elementary schools and virtual for middle schools and high schools. But, and we're not following that, but I do think that we should follow their, require, their request and their recommendation for masking. I'm done. So you want to pick and choose? Yes, I do. Yes, I do want to pick and choose. Because I think you might have a point, Paul, that we want to pick some things that are best for our local area. But some things might be best to follow the recommendations of the doctors.
play that opening audio of the lady suffocating herself through her mask. Because it's hilarious. <laughs> Not really. But actually, yeah, it is pretty freaking funny. Uh, I also play the audio of Joe Biden because I have a much larger point to make regarding how elected officials treat those who put them in office in the first place. So I got a lot to say about that. Before I recap that intro audio, today is what, day two, day th- no, Wednesday, day three of the George, Flo- George Floyd murder trial. And I've held back a lot of my opinion as far as social media goes about the death of George Floyd because, I mean, there's, there's so much to consider. And when I see the mainstream media on day one, jump and make come to a conclusion and then support the violence and further murders looting all of that that came because of the stance the media took i I directly blame all the violence over the summer on the media they they gave validity to the the notion that we can watch a video and then just make an assessment on who's guilty who's innocent very quickly, and then burn down our cities. Uh, so there's a lot to consider, I believe. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think just the rush to judgment that many did led me to, to decide that I didn't want to do that. So I've been considering it, I've been watching, and really I've been waiting for this trial to happen. Now uh, watching different clips, um, which I, I'm going to play a clip for you here. Uh, I, I want you to make your own assessment. Don't don't just go based off of what the media tells you to believe or what the media tells you happened. If you haven't watched the full video um, from start to finish, from light confrontation to shoving George Floyd into the back of a police car, uh, an air-conditioned police car, by the way, um, to George Floyd resisting over and over and over, to George Floyd ultimately getting out of the police car, winding up on the ground face down, and the police officer's knee, left knee in George Floyd's neck, right knee in George George Floyd's back. If you haven't watched that unfold, it is very tough to have an educated opinion. And even with the entire video, it's still very difficult to make an educated opinion opinion or, or, or come to some sort of conclusion about what happened simply because there is so much to consider that happened before and then now what's happened after. There's a lot. So I got a video here that I want to play for you. Uh, this comes from, I believe, day one um, of the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd. Take a listen. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin and the death of George Floyd. The trial began with some really dramatic moments, including a look at the video showing Floyd's final moments. CBS 4's Skylar Henry reports from Minneapolis. Francis and Keith, good morning to you. Well, we are expected to hear from more witnesses today in the trial, one of which could be the current Minneapolis police chief who fired Chauvin, as well as other members of the department who accused the former police officer of having a history of using excessive force. 
Prosecutors did not mince words as they laid out their case against former police officer Derek Chauvin. I would tell you that you can believe your eyes uh, that it's a homicide, it's murder. The trial's first day featured opening statements from both sides. The prosecution played for the jury the cell phone video showing George Floyd gasping for air. He put his knees upon his neck and his back, grinding and crushing him until the very breath. No, ladies and gentlemen, until the very life was squeezed out of him. The defense offered a very different take on what happened. And you will learn that Derek Chauvin did exactly what he had been trained to do over the course of his 19-year career. Defense attorney Eric Nelson said Floyd's death was the result of drug abuse and an underlying heart condition. The evidence is far greater than 9 minutes and 29 seconds. Day one also included the trial's first witnesses, among them a 911 operator who watched Floyd's arrest on surveillance videos, who initially thought the cameras had frozen because the restraint had gone on so long. That dispatcher says she then called the police on the police, something she had never done before. And my instincts were telling me that something's wrong. Something has not right. I don't know what, but something wasn't right. Chauvin is charged with second and third degree murder, as well as second degree manslaughter. He's pleaded not guilty. That trial, again, expected to pick back up later this morning. One thing abundantly clear here, lawyers on both sides say that proving how exactly George Floyd died will be crucial in this trial. Okay. Man, there, there's, there's so much to talk about. First, I want to make it extremely, abundantly, um, almost overemphasized exactly how not undecided I am on the case. I do have an opinion that we'll get to, but my point today is not to say that somebody is innocent or somebody is guilty. I'm not here to say that uh, George Floyd should or should not have died. Obviously, any absolutely any loss of life is tragic, and I think that's consistent with a pro-life stance that you know the Bible tells us that we have before us death and life were to choose life. I choose life. I would have chosen life for George Floyd. Unfortunately, in a circumstance like we see in that video, assuming you've watched the whole video and not just the, the edited clips, um, that choice isn't always black and white when you're in the moment, when you're dealing with George Floyd was not a 12 year old boy who could be overpowered. George Floyd was a grown ass man who was high on multiple substances and a very strong man. So that has to be considered. Again, that is not evidence against George Floyd or for Derek Chauvin. It's just evidence. It is fact. So, obviously, I'm sure you know exactly, um, or at least for, on, on a broad sense, what the trial is going to be about. But just very quickly, the two sides, the prosecution and the defense. Prosecution of Derek Chauvin is going to show the video of George Floyd's death over and over and over. They have been, they will continue to. They've brought in all the witnesses that were around the area, and they've asked them different questions. There is, It, it was extremely emotional. I'll get into some of that in a second. Um, but not as much on the actual evidence and not as much attention paid to George Floyd and the police officer. More attention paid to the witnesses and the effects on them and should not be ignored. I think that it's an intelligent way if you are a prosecutor who is just trying to win a case, 
you're, you're, they did the right thing. Uh, the defense of Officer Derek Chauvin is going to do their best to forget about the video, obviously, um, and try to counter the video with cause of death language. And I'm linking to a New York Times article in the show notes that, uh, that I'll be quoting here. Uh, quote, quoting that article, while the defense has yet to present evidence to support its theory, that theory being that the cause of death was not solely the police officer, and in fact that it was largely more the, the copious amount of drugs in George Floyd's system. Um, while the defense is yet to present evidence to support its theory, it may not fully ex- exculpate Mr. Chauvin, said Chris Slobogen, the director, or Slobogen, the director of the criminal justice program at Vanderbilt University. Quote, even if the drugs contributed to his death, Chauvin can still be found guilty of homicide if he has also contributed to the death. It's only if the death was solely caused by the drugs that, de- that the defense would have legitimate argument, end quote. So I agree. I would agree with that. I think most rational, sane people who are looking at this from an objective point of view, trying to discover the facts, would agree with that. If somebody's about to overdose on fentanyl and you pull a gun out and shoot him point blank in the face, the cause of death is not the fentanyl overdose. The cause of death is the fact that you shot him in the face. It should also be noted that they're on fentanyl. But And again, that's not even what, what we're talking about here. This wasn't some instantaneous cause of death. This was a police officer doing what he was trained to do, um, doing what many police officers are trained to do in extreme circumstances. So if you are just taking this case at face value and face value being the pictures you're seeing over and over of the police off police officers knee in George Floyd's neck in that crease area. Um, if you're just seeing that you're ignoring purposefully you're remaining willingly, willfully ignorant of the fact that, look, this was a situation where African Americans called the police asking for help because George Floyd tried to pay, and George Floyd's friend also tried to pay with a counterfeit $20 bill. There's some evidence that came out today about that that I'll get into in literally just a second. Um, these are police officers whose job that day was to defend Innocent civilians, innocent citizens who called them asking for their help. And that's what they did. They responded. This escalated, not quickly, over the course of several minutes, well, like 10 minutes of trying to arrest George Floyd, who was, again, high. So he was not in his right mind. Many have described him. I think even his own family said he had mental health issues. So this is not a cut and dry, oh, you should have just arrested the guy, put him in your police car and been on your way, or you shouldn't even showed up. This should have just been a, 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 a no show. Whatever it is you're saying the police should have done, it's very hard to argue that they, they acted in a wrong way up until when, obviously, um, excessive force seems to have been used. So my... Reaction. I've been watching some of the trial today as much as I can. Uh, obviously, I'm working, so really it's more listening. But it is sad. It's sad to see one side playing on the emotions of the jury. And, I mean, they're they're doing a full Steve Madden play-by-play. They're, they're circling a girl. These are people who, these are witnesses who are putting their faces in front of the cameras. 
testifying to be 100% truthful. And I'll get to a hero, I believe, in this court case, the store clerk. Um, But there are many things that are being put in front of the jury right now that have zero implications on the case itself, on what happened between the police officer and George Floyd and the store clerk and his co-worker who originally called the police. They are definitely playing into the emotional side of it. It's a good strategy to win. Uh, it's not necessarily the most ethical, I would say. Um, so I, I saw, literally maybe an hour ago, a couple hours ago, the store clerk who refused the counterfeit $20 bill from George Floyd say that he regrets not taking that counterfeit bill. Because then all of this could have been avoided. And, 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 and God, that right there breaks my heart, seeing someone feel guilt for doing their job. This man is a hero, I believe. He's putting his face on live TV, answering questions, I believe, truthfully. He seems to be answering them truthfully. That could reflect badly on the prosecution. That, that doesn't look good for George Floyd. That if, if you're trying to see everything through the lens of, well, who are you supporting? I could see many people seeing that store clerk and saying, you're a traitor, bro. Especially if this this court case doesn't go the way many people are hoping it goes. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. But that's where we are. There is one person in this case who literally broke the law, refused arrest, high on drugs, tried to pass a $20 bill, a fake $20 bill off his reel. He died, tragically. The only truly innocent person in that trio of people between George Floyd, the police officer, and the store clerk, the only truly innocent person is the store clerk. By one, doing his job and not allowing a criminal to be a criminal to steal. And there's implications of that $20 bill that directly affect that store clerk. Had the store clerk accepted the $20 bill as he says he now wishes he had, that $20 would have been taken out of his paycheck. And $20 means a lot to some people, not very much to others. It looks like it meant a lot to this gentleman. And it sounds that way, based off of his his emotion and his guilt, wishing he had accepted. He, he, he's, he's saying, I wish that I had just accepted the $20 bill and George Floyd would have been on his merry way. And I would have had to cough up 20 bucks from my paycheck so that George Floyd could live. Ugh, it's tragic. I hate seeing the officer there with his knee on George Floyd's neck for, for nine minutes. Was it necessary? I don't know. I don't know. We can living room quarterback this all day, but at the end of the day, somebody died. And so answers or questions have to be answered. And this is, that's the part that frustrates me. That's the part that really, it's frustrating. I only see people on the right, these far-right extremists, these far-right racists. I only see those people trying to prove the cop's actions killed George Floyd. It's like the guy who tried to disprove the existence of God and ended up proving himself wrong. I see people on the right, I see conservatives 
desperately trying to find a way to, to say, yes, this cop did it, we can move on. If we can prove this guy had intent to kill and he did kill George Floyd, fry him. That's why we have the death penalty, ladies and gentlemen. All you people talking, oh, we shouldn't have capital punishment, we shouldn't have the death penalty, all that stuff. This is why we have it. If we can prove that somebody committed not only a hate crime, but really tortured a man for, for nine minutes until he finally gasped his last breath on this earth. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean just a, a lethal injection, a, a painless passing. I mean, fry him. I mean, if you've ever seen a law-abiding citizen when Gerard Butler swaps out the, uh, the, the painless lethal injection substance for a tortured lethal injection substance. Good movie, by the way, if you, if you like um, well, violence <laughs> in movies. Uh, I mean, I don't think if we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that this cop tried to kill George Floyd, whether it's because he's black or because he just had a bad day and wanted to kill somebody, whatever the reasons are, if there's intent there, I got no reservations killing him. But part of accepting that the death penalty is an option puts a responsibility on us as observers. It puts a responsibility on the defense, on the prosecution, on the jury, and on the judge to get it right. And that's what kills me about the media's jump to conclusions about this, getting everybody riled up before we even had a chance to look at the evidence, really, beyond the video that everybody saw, before we got to hear from witnesses. I wish the cop had had more options in that instance. Maybe he did. To my eyes, I see somebody who took many, many, many steps to make sure this did not escalate out of control. Because let's, let's, let's play best case scenario, or, or really in my mind, worst case scenario. But let's, let's take this at face value of what the media says should have happened uh, if the cops were never called on George Floyd. Or let's say the cops did show up. They realized this dude's high on everything right now. Uh, he's in his car. How about we just... Tell him, hey, sit in your car, stay there, cool off. Uh, we're going to call for backup because this obviously has the potential to get out of hand. This is a strong man. This is a tall, big, heavy man who is pr probably capable of overpowering a lot of people, including those cops. So either they got to end up tasing the guy, either they got to end up shooting the guy, they got to end up forcing him into the cop car, beating him up so that he can't resist, whatever it is, or... They got a call for backup. Now there's 10, 15 police officers surrounding that car. Now you've got essentially some somebody who's got propensity to be violent. His past shows that. And he's in a situa situation where he's got he's surrounded by police officers. And now in his head, it's, they might kill me. I need to um, protect myself in this situation. Either way, this has the potential to get out of hand. So, And, and I say all that to say that trying to make that call in the heat of the moment like it's it feels like one of those impossible situations where hindsight's 2020 sure but in the heat of the moment i don't know how many of us would have done anything differently than the police officers did except i might have just tucked tail and run because i don't handle situations like that well many of us don't you know i see a lot of people talking about the gun debate saying well you know 
citizens like me, I've got a, a concealed carry license, which I don't actually need one in Texas anymore, but I, I have a concealed carry license and people see that and they, and they, they would say, well, not everybody's trained to handle a weapon. So you think you're going to make the right decision in the moment and you may end up killing an innocent bystander, things like that. That's, that's why we train. That's why we target practice and we use hollow points. But those same people are so ready to say, well, if I had been in this situation, if I was that cop and I was wrestling with George Floyd for what, 20 minutes that I would have made the right call. Can't have it both ways, ladies and gentlemen. Let's also not forget that those cops are responding to African-Americans requesting help. George Floyd didn't give a shit about the store clerk's black life. George Floyd didn't care that the $20 worth of goods purchased with the fake $20 bill would be taken out of that kid's paycheck. George Floyd didn't care that he was putting others at risk of danger or loss. George Floyd was responsible for his own life, just like you and I are. And he made a bad decision that resulted in the loss of his life. Now, was it just his bad decision that resulted in the, in the loss of life? Or was it also a police officer who was abusing his power, abusing his position to arrest somebody and then to take them down and put a knee on his neck? That's what they're going to decide in the court. I'm not going to pass an opinion on that right now because there's still evidence to see. Either way, though, we are going to see more protests. We're going to see more riots. And I ultimately predict that nobody will be happy with the outcome of this trial except those who value the rule of law and order. And, and what terrifies me is that I'm afraid, and I've been afraid of this since, since it happened, that they're going to go after this police officer when they cannot establish intent. They are going to go after, I believe, third-degree murder is when you have to establish intent. And if they can't, if they overreach and they cannot prove enough to convict of third degree, and this police officer gets off because the prosecution overreached, all hell's going to break loose. And that terrifies me. I hope to God that's not, that's not what happens. But this is what I hate about the politicization of everything in our society. By the way, if you've listened to any of my past episodes, you should be, I, sh I need a round of applause right now for saying politicization twice in a freaking row, flawlessly. Anyways, this is what I hate about the politicization of everything in our society. Why aren't we seeing this level of outrage? We're seeing plenty of attention paid, but we're not seeing outrage about the, the many, many Asian Americans that have been savagely beaten, pushed, killed. And not that this is a contributing factor. Again, there's no evidence to suggest this. But observing, just like they observe police brutality, just like they observe when a black man is killed by a white person, these Asians who are being beaten pushed to the ground, kicked savagely. Many of them are African-American men. And, and literally, I've read the articles, whether it's CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post, whoever you are, I'm reading these articles, and either you've got to get to the very bottom of the article to find out that basically all of these violent people that are hurting these Asian-Americans Many of them are African-American, not all of them. I'm not saying that, not all of them. 
And again, I don't know and I don't believe right now that that this is a hate crime because I haven't seen the evidence other than just surface level evidence, observation evidence. So that's all I'll say about that. But really arguing against this current state uh, that we're in in America, it's, it's pointless. We're here, so now we're left with just picking up the pieces of all the, the shrapnel that everybody's throwing back and forth, the fallout of all of these little battles that everybody's waging. I, I think, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, when all of this started coming out, we're so quick to say, well, yes, obviously the police officer was wrong. Can we just settle on the police officer as a dirtbag and move on? And there's so many, particularly on the right, who want to just give in and say, yes, he's obviously guilty. Let's just move on. Let's move on. But we can't be so afraid of what will happen when the facts are weighed in. We can't be so afraid of that that we avoid them. We can't be so eager to move past this dark point in our, in our history that we don't consider all the evidence. Because put yourself in the position of the, of the police officer assuming he's innocent. Innocent until proven guilty, am I right? Put yourself in his shoes. You want all the evidence to come out if you believe that you really are innocent. So, really, any more talking about it is just conjecture and further exacerbating the problem. The facts are coming out. We're hearing from the eyewitnesses. We're hearing from the store clerk. We're hearing from the defense, the prosecution, and the jury will weigh the decision and come to a conclusion. We are helpless at this point uh, to, to, to change that. In fact, you don't want the voices of pop culture to, to weigh in on a court trial. So, the only, thing other I, the only thing else I will say about this is that just like COVID, I believe there's normal people like you and me who I believe are good people and want the truth to come out and want the best decision for everybody and for the country collectively to happen. Whatever that is, that's what we want to happen. And we're praying for it. But just like COVID-19, there are people who I believe take advantage or who see these catastrophes, who see this chaos as, quote, an opportunity. So who's benefiting from the exaggeration and the blowing up of this case over other cases? It's not black people. Black people, like COVID, have been severely impacted by the riots, the protests, the lootings, the shootings, stores being broken into, Walmarts being completely cleared out. Nothing has improved for African Americans because of this trial, and I don't believe anything will improve because of this trial. And yet we're here believing that everything for the future of African Americans depends on the outcome of this trial. It's a false narrative. It's a false flag. And essentially what it is, is it's a dog whistle. It's a dog whistle for the violent left that if this trial doesn't come to the perfect conclusion and what they want it to happen, not what the evidence says, but what their feelings, emotions, and opinions say needs to happen, there will be more violence. And the country will once again be held hostage by the violent left. And I don't think that even the violent left realizes the implications of what they're doing right now. The Antifas, the Black Lives Matters, not the ones who are out there just protesting want their voices heard. Those are great people. Those are patriots. 
Those are great Americans. They believe there's injustice and they want to be heard. There's nothing wrong with that. That's beautiful. But they're not the only actors in this scene that we're in right now. And the media pretending otherwise is, I believe, a contributing factor to some of the terrible um, scenes that we've seen on, on news and in our own streets. So I'll talk more about uh, what I believe the, the violent left doesn't realize what they're doing in many cases. Uh, I think there, there are leaders who do know what's happening, but they're also useful idiots who don't realize what they're playing into. And uh, I'll talk about that more at the end of the show. I'm going to read a little excerpt from George Orwell's 1984 that I read yesterday after work that I think is extremely timely to what we're going through collectively as a country. So take that for what it's worth. Do the mature thing and hold back until you know all the facts is my only uh, suggestion, request, prayer, hope. So back to the intro. Um, <laughs> I want to play the audio of that lady. If you don't understand, if you don't know what's, what's happening in this audio, this is the caption is teachers union representative fighting for mask wearing while fighting to breathe through a mask. And we're not following that. But I do think that we should follow their require, their request and their recommendation for masking. I'm done. So you want to pick and choose. Yes, I do. Ah, okay. So, <laughs> this lady's obviously off a rocker. She's obviously unhinged. Uh, it may be the lack of oxygen. Uh, we'll blame it on that. You know, I don't want to directly in incriminate her right now. She may just be suffering from a little lack of oxygen. At what point do you say, screw the effing mask and just rip it off and say, y'all, I can't breathe. I'm at least six feet away from all of you. Can we be rational human beings right now? But no. No, that, that would be too much of a hit to the agenda, right? Um, so I play that audio because it's funny. I play the audio of Biden uh, talking about minorities not able to get online. Um, amazing, first of all. Second of all, um, I, I think that it shows what he thinks of the minority population as a whole. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that, but I can come to no other conclusion. This is a, a man who has over and over attributed some of the worst characterizations to minorities, African-Americans, Hispanics, Middle Eastern, mainly African-Americans. Everybody knows the audio of him talking about, about Barack Obama as being a clean, uh, what is it, articulate black man. It's like a fairy book story. Like, really? And I hate playing this game. I really do but especially in the time of Trump. Imagine if Trump or Trump Jr. or, well, Melania doesn't say much, and you can't really understand half of it, but Ivanka, Jared Kushner, any of the kids, imagine if any of them said something even remotely close to this clean, articulate African-American man being a fairy book story. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, so this guy who thinks that we're all idiots, now shows that 
that disdain he has for us in his comments about the new Georgia Election Integrity Act. And I say disdain because if you go from he thinks we're idiots to this is how he's talking to us, it should infuriate, infuriate you even more. He expects us to just believe what he and the mainstream media are saying regarding this new election law in Georgia. And the sad truth is many people who only watch CNN, who only watch MSNBC, they will believe him. All they know about this new law is what CNN tells them. And that's my, my beef with, like I said last episode, they, they try to read these little pieces into the law to point them out and exaggerate them and say, this is why it's racist. This is why it's sexist. This is why it's anti-American, anti-voter, anti-freedom, anti-civil rights, whatever it is. They pull those little pieces out so they can inflate them. But truth disagrees with, with, the, with what they're saying. Here's some audio from Fox News. Steve Hilton points out Dems' false claim about Georgia election laws. Go. Next, I want to move on to something else we learned this week. The President of the United States is a liar. A cynical, reckless, race-baiting liar. And here's the tape that proves it. They passed a law saying you can't provide water for people standing in line. While they're waiting to vote. Biden was talking about Georgia's voting reform bill. This is what it actually says. It's on the screen now. Biden said, quote, they passed a law saying you can't provide water for people standing in line while they're waiting to vote. The Georgia law literally says that a poll officer can make water available to a voter waiting in line to vote. Did Biden make a mistake, misspeak? It wouldn't be the first time to put it mildly. But this wasn't a mistake. He was reciting a Democrat talking point. A new giant voting omnibus bill that would, among other things, ban people from giving food and water to voters waiting in line. It is going to make it illegal to give somebody this to stand in line to vote. They're now banning water being given to black people in line. I mean, I mean they, they don't say black people, but they might as well. I got to stop it there. I don't want to play the rest of the video. It's so idiotic. This guy thinks we're freaking idiots. And and before I get into the, the, the Election Integrity Act of 2021, is what we're talking about. Before I get into that real quick, the, the kicker to all of this you know, it'd be one thing if Joe Biden was speaking out of his ass like he always do, always does, and we disagree with him and we get to debate whatever. The kicker to all of this is he gets to say something so outlandishly untrue. And when people on the right and the conservative media try to kick back, people get deplatformed, people get kicked off of Facebook, kicked off of Twitter, kicked off of YouTube, accounts suspended indefinitely, no reason given except that they dared post something that asked the question. Can we, can we get away from saying that the Republicans want to starve and, and kill of, of thirst every Democrat voter waiting in line, as if any of these laws would only apply to Democrat voters, and that for some reason that means we're talking about minorities? This is the problem with the Democrat Party. This is why many 
from the Democrat Party, many minorities, ended up flipping and voting for Trump. That's something they never want to talk about, that the minority vote largely went to, maybe it was a slight majority, I think, went to Donald Trump in 2020, and that the largest college-educated suburban white vote went to the Democrats. They don't want to talk about that. And if you do want to talk about it, well, as soon as they can pick out a, 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 a fragment of a sentence, or if they can piece together a word from 13 sentences that says anything about the election of 2020, this includes misinformation about the election of 2020, there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud, blocked, canceled, deplatformed, everything. So... What is the Election Integrity Act of 2021? This is a, a bill that Republican, uh, Republican lawmakers in Georgia passed, the governor signed. Sent, and, and so what is it, what are they pointing to? We just heard some of it when they're saying that you can't give food. This is literally what pisses me off about Democrats, Democrat lawmakers, and then what frustrates me with Democrat voters is they, they have no intellectual... In, curiosity. They just accept it at face value. Oh, the Republicans want some grant. Literally, they always talk about grandma. Grandma standing in line, thirsty, falls over dead because she couldn't get a bottle of water. It's so disingenuous, and I can't believe so many people would fall for it, and yet here we are. There's a term called line warming. And this is something, again, that is so infuriating. Because this is a law that protects all voters. What is line warming? Well, what you, it, it can be seen as voter intimidation. When you've got people waiting in line to vote, and in the past, there have been people that try to influence those people waiting in line, whether it is wearing a shirt. Maybe there's a shirt that says MAGA. Maybe there's a shirt that says, uh, I, I stand for the, for the flag. Or there, maybe there's a shirt that says, you know, uh, if, you don't, if you don't like this country, leave. That's intimidation according to some of these, these line-warming laws. Another thing people try to do for line-warming is they get to say, well, I'm just handing out snacks and water. So, hey, hey you look thirsty. Here's a, a bottle of water with no label on it. Who are you voting for? And, and that's illegal. And it should be, right? Whether you're a Republican or Democrat, if you're standing in line exercising your God-given right to go and vote for who you think should run the country... I don't want some asshole coming over to me and saying, hey, you look thirsty, here's some water. Uh, you going to vote for Biden? Fuck off. No. It's not none of your business. So that is what this food and drink thing is. Obviously, if somebody is that thirsty, they're free to leave the line. And that's something else this law does is it expands and, and increases the length of time you have to, to, to do in-person early voting. Because now, instead of, I have to get to the polls on election day, I, ha I mean, really what they, they would have to do at that point is if you had one day to vote, they'd have to make it a federal holiday. But even then, the, the law, current law says your employer has to, by law, give you that time to go and exercise your right to vote, even with early vote, voting in place. But this law expands early voting, in-person early voting. So, you, so now you don't have one day that you got to take off of work. You've got what is, it, I think, two weeks here in Texas. It's not that hard, people. This is not a divisive issue. Quoting the CNN article, link in the show notes, quote, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, a Republican, vowed last December 
a week before the state's runoff election, that the state would crack down on line warming or handing gifts to voters in line as a way to, quote, inappropriately influence voters in the crucial final moments before they cast their ballots. That's not a divisive issue. It really isn't. And, and I'm going to spend some time here um, because this is one of those things that if you don't care about peace, if you don't care about unity, you'll fall in line with whatever your news channel tells you to believe. There are many people who would watch only this Fox News audio that I just played for you, and they make their opinion. There are others who have never seen this or heard this audio, have never heard the language in the bill. All they've heard is Biden and CNN saying Republicans want to starve and kill grandmas due to thirst. As if we're standing there in line with a gun saying, you voting MAGA? No? Good luck without water. Scorching hot outside. In October slash November. (laughs) We can unite. We can agree. Step one to peace in this country starts with not defunding police, not defunding schools, not defunding corporate America, not defunding the rich. It's defunding the politicians who get, no matter what happens, whether it's the George Floyd case, whether it's this uh, Election Integrity Act, whether it's the election of 2020, all these people stay in D.C. They all keep their mansions. So who's the clown? Who's stuck over here picking up the pieces of their bullshit? Who's stuck over here trying to do the right thing for the world, but we're operating off of information that is misleading at best? From both sides. And that leads me perfectly into my next subject, which I I teased you with, what, Monday or might have been last Friday, but should gig work be government run? Hell no. Because they can't even get this shit right. They can't even just level with us as educated, mature adults to talk about an election integrity act. They have to misconstrue the words. They have to treat us like we're freaking idiots. I'm a little angry today. I'm very sorry for that. Uh, the George Floyd thing kind of knocked me off my rhythm, to be honest. Um, but this is an article from The New Yorker talking about Proposition 22 out of California, which, quoting this article, Prop 22, which had been crafted by the gig work platforms, made app-based companies exempt from the new rule. The new rule being whether the government will will control or um, run, essentially versus, from 1099 versus W-2, you know, contractor to employed work. Work part-time as a nurse in a doctor's office and you'd get benefits. Drive part-time for Uber and you wouldn't. But there's a defining line there. If you're working part-time in a doctor's office, you are working for the doctor's office. If you are driving Uber, you are performing conducting a service for uber but you are working for yourself because guess what you can quit whenever you want you make your own schedule it's a beautiful thing i've done lyft before 
there are many people, especially in California. Uh, there's a guy I went to Long Beach one time for work, and there's uh, I got into a lift, and it was a Prius, and this guy was forty something years old, an aspiring actor. You know, he'd gotten a few gigs here and there, and he and he said, hey, "I'm not making a lot of money off of my acting, but I love it." And then I do Lyft and Uber so I can pay the bills, cover the difference. That's a beautiful thing. That's a decision that a mature adult can make. However, progressives and mainly Democrats, but I'm sure many Republicans would jump on board with this as well, they don't think that you can run your own business. They don't think that you should be able to employ yourself. They think they can do it better than you can. Their idea, quote, is to create markets for gig work that are run as public utilities. Don't we love our public utilities? Don't we love the monopolies that exist, especially in rural America? The, the girl who cuts my hair, she lives in a rural, rural area where there is literally only one public utilities co-op or whatever it is in that area. And they price gouge the crap out of her. Is that really, do you really want your ability to, whether it's start your own business or find a company that doesn't want an employee, just needs some part-time work and they'll pay you and you get paid tax-free and you pay taxes on the back end? If you want to make that call, shouldn't you be allowed to do it? Progressives would say no. So they would want these public utilities run by nonprofits and governments. Still quoting, instead of getting work through a private company such as Uber, a job seeker in Rowan's system could use a website or app overseen by the government and regulated to promote the public interest. Oh, public interest. That's, that's basically charity work right there. Such an approach wouldn't use regulation to hobble the gig work goliaths. It would compete with them. Who can possibly compete with the federal government? When, they, when the federal government needs more money, what, do they work harder? Do politicians put in an extra weekend? No. They pass a budget, the spending bill, and they print some more money. It would compete with them, combining many gig work options into a broader labor market designed to benefit workers and the public. Mm, workers unite. Ugh. They try to take this and apply it to so many different areas, saying, wouldn't this just be so great from haircutting to graphic design, auto repair. Neighbors would rent out bikes and power drills, cars and spare rooms, boosting their reliability scores with each exchange. Mmm, reliability scores. I'm getting hungry. Reliability scores. Doesn't that sound a little bit like a social credit score that we're seeing in China, which is just working, working wonderfully? And then it also kind of sounds a little bit like a, uh, what was it, the carbon credits. Mmm. <laughs> reducing the need to buy expensive carbon costly appliances and keeping money circulating in local economies. All of these things they're talking about exists. They all exist. There's marketplaces for all these things. There's Angie's list. There's Craigslist where you can pick up gigs. There's Uber and Lyft, obviously there's uh, uh, Uber eats. There's DoorDash. There's Favor here locally, which just got bought up by H-E-B and delivers for uh, the grocery store, which is just one of those, those things that I love about America. But, or ZipRecruiter, Monster.com, 
I love that part from The Office. Uh, in fact, I'm going to play it because it's freaking hilarious. No, I'm not going to play it. Uh, but anyways, when uh, Michael Scott's looking for a job and he all of a sudden you hear all these monster noises coming from his office and Jim goes, monster.com, singular. <laughs> Good times. The problem, even though all these these marketplaces exist in the private sector, the problem for these power-hungry egomaniacs in government is that this only exists in the private sector. They're not getting a piece of it. They're not getting to control it. Once again, private companies demonized as only wanting profits. Cast aside the good that these companies have done for people by having the, the genius and then the resources to create something like Uber. Uber was groundbreaking, revolutionary. The only people who hated it were the labor unions who controlled the politicians. The appeal of gig work is flexibility and lack of regulation. So you're going to fix that by decreasing flexibility by taking you from contract labor to employment and then, and then increasing regulation. When has government regulation ever saved us from freaking anything other than just very basic, you know, anti, uh, monopoly stuff and things like that. The lack of a contract, which is what employment is. If you're doing contract labor, you're, you're contracting directly between you and a company, not yourself and HR. So the lack of a contract is what makes gig work work. If you, if these people who are driving for Lyft or Uber wanted permanent work with benefits, that's what they would look for. I've never met an Uber driver who is driving for Uber simply because he can't find a job or she. I did Lyft for a little bit because I quit my job. I needed to close the gap a little, little bit and pay some bills. So I did Lyft for a couple of weeks. It was great. I didn't have to worry about HR paperwork. I didn't have to worry about a contract with the company. Literally, I, I was given a date to show up and pick up a car and start driving. Additionally, Refer back to the corporate woke agenda that we're seeing right now for exactly why I don't want the government in my gig work. I have a 40-hour-a-week job, 8 to 5, hour-long lunch, benefits, 401k, 9 yards. Love it. Great company that I work for. I also have a side business, an LLC, that I get to find clients and work for. And it's a great thing. It's a great thing when come tax season. It's a great thing when I realize, okay, my wife is a teacher's assistant and it is spring break, which means she's not going to get paid for a whole week. Okay, I'm going to do a little extra work through my business or I'm going to allow my wife to help me with some extra work in the business that I can then bill for to help close the gap. I don't understand why they try to complicate things why well, I think I know why. I don't understand why people allow. You know, Donald Trump is the devil. Donald Trump is literally committing genocide on the border using the federal government. Hey, let's give that same federal government more power, right? Oh, Greg Abbott wants to kill old people by taking away the mask mandate. Let's give the state more power. Now, I'm running out of time here, so I've got to talk briefly about uh, some audio I heard. Jen Psaki, uh, White House press secretary, talking to the press um, about school reopenings. And one of the press members, I, f I can't remember who it was specifically, asking 
basically, hey, so you said you're going to take these kids out of these facilities. You're making good on that by putting them in schools and educating them. So now illegal immigrants, children, not demonizing them, just saying what they are, children who are not here legally get to go to in-person school full-time while California is fighting and clawing to get a hybrid at least in person at home, in person at home, in person. So there, there's two things, two, two arguments or two um, opinions that you can attribute to this mentality. And you have to pick one because both can't be true and one of them has to be true. Which is it? The press is coming dangerously close to calling for a reopening of the country. They just, they can't quite find out how to get those words out of their mouths. It's like, re, uh, uh, re, oh, uh. they can't get the words out of their, their mouths and out of their minds and into the news cycle. Well, they can, they just won't. So, which is it? Is the schooling that these immigrants are receiving in California at the risk of their health? Because now they're, 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 they're going back to school while, California residents are not allowed because of COVID. So which is it? Because I heard that the quote, not following COVID protocols thing was isolated to the cramped border air quotes facilities. So if we're not putting these immigrants at risk at health risk, because now they're going straight to in person while California resident children over 130,000 are not allowed to because of COVID or if they're not at danger, why are they receiving a superior education 100% in person versus the education these 130,000 some odd kids are receiving by not allowing by not being allowed to resume 100% in person learning? If COVID isn't a concern for the migrant children, why is it for our children? Do you, do you see the argument there? I feel like I'm stumbling over the point that I'm trying to make, but it really is either a threat to these immigrant children and we're, and we're allowing them to be at greater risk for COVID, contracting COVID than our own children. Or if COVID is not a factor, they are receiving a superior education to our own children. And Jen Pasaki, God bless her. She had no answer for it other than just toe on the line, saying the usual stuff and then insinuating that these people have an agenda against Joe Biden somehow because they don't fall lock, lock and step with him. They've got it out for him. So I think about these things and I think about the people who are putting our children, putting our economy and putting everything that America has built over the last, what, 250 years. And I think, what do these people do? think they're doing maybe some of them hate america i could definitely attribute the word hate to to several of them based on either them saying how bad america is or by them supporting certain people who say things like quote god damn america end quote and then i read a passage yesterday i've been trying to do about a chapter a day of animal farm because it is so timely and I got to chapter, what is this, seven? 
And there's a part here where these animals who have basically gone through, they, they revolted against the, the despicable humans, they took over the farm, they've been succeeding, they've been doing so great, and now you're making that switch from socialism, we're all in this together, to communism, where now all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And this is what I believe many Democrat voters who have fallen in line between this behind this woke um, social justice agenda. I think they're going to get to a point in time where they sound a little bit like this. Never had the farm, and with a kind of surprise, they remembered that it was their own farm, every inch of it, their own property. Appeared to the animals so desirable a place. As Clover looked down the hillside, her eyes filled with tears. If she could have spoken her thoughts, it would have been to say that this was not what they had aimed at when they had set themselves years ago to work for the overthrow of the human race. These scenes of terror and slaughter were not what they had looked forward to on that night when Old Major first stirred them to rebellion. Now keep in mind, they just we just came past the scene where Napoleon, the, the head pig who's leading the animals, asked the other animals to confess if they had had contributed to uh, a plot to overthrow Animal Farm. And every single animal that confessed to Napoleon was ripped apart by his dogs. These scenes of terror and slaughter were not what they had looked forward to on that night when Old Major first stirred them to rebellion. If she herself had had any picture of the future, it had been it had been of a society of animals set free from hunger and the whip, all equal, each working according to his capacity, the strong protecting the weak, as she had protected the lost brood of ducklings with her foreleg on the night of Major's speech. Instead, she did not know why. Oh, I'm sorry. Instead, she did not know why they had come to a time when no one dared speak his mind when fierce, growling dogs roamed everywhere, and when you had to watch your comrades torn to pieces after confessing to shocking crimes. There was no thought of rebellion or disobedience in their mind. She knew that, even as things were, they were far better off than they had been in the days of Jones, and that before all else it was needful to prevent the return of the human beings. Whatever happened... She would remain faithful, work hard, carry out the orders that were given to her, and accept the leadership of Napoleon. But still, it was not for this that she and all the other animals had hoped and toiled. It was not for this that they had built the windmill and faced the bullets of Jones's gun. Such were her thoughts, though she lacked the words to express them. At last, feeling this to be in some way a substitute for the words she was unable to find... She began to sing Beasts of England. The other animals sitting round her took it up and they sang it three times over. Very tunefully, but slowly and mournfully, in a way they had never sung it before. They had just finished singing it for the third time when Squealer, attended by two dogs, one of the, the pigs in control, approached them with the air of having something important to say. Squealer is kind of like a press secretary for Napoleon, 
the leader. Squealer is the one who speaks for Napoleon and convinces the other animals that they're idiots and that they just need to follow Napoleon because he's so smart. Squealer, attended by two dogs, approached them with an air of having something important to say. He announced that by a special decree of Comrade Napoleon, Beasts of England, see that is our national anthem, had been abolished. From now onwards, it was forbidden to sing it. The animals were taken aback. Why? cried Muriel. It's no longer needed, comrade, said Squealer stiffly. Beasts of England was the song of the rebellion, but the rebellion is now completed. The execution of the traitors this afternoon was the final act. The enemy, both external and internal, has been defeated. And beasts of England, we expressed our longing for a better society in days to come. But that society has now been established. Clearly, this song has no longer any purpose. Frightened though they were, some of the animals might possibly have protested, but at this moment the sheep set up their usual bleeding of four legs good, two legs bad, which went on for several minutes and put an end to the discussion. So Beasts of England was heard no more. In its place, Minimus, the poet, had composed another song, which began, Animal Farm, Animal Farm, Never through me shalt thou come to harm. And this was sung every Sunday morning, after the hoisting of the flag, but somehow, neither the words nor the tune ever seemed to the animals to come up to Beasts of England. I know a lot of Democrats. I know... Yeah, I know a lot of Democrats. I know a lot of people who voted for Biden. I know a lot of people who voted for Biden, even though they don't think he's the best candidate for president. Because they agree with his agenda. Or at least they think they do. And I may be wrong, and I hope to God I'm wrong. I hope to God I'm wrong in everything regarding politics. Because every one of my opinions, or not every one of them, but many of them regarding the, the trajectory that we're heading down, um, doesn't look too good. So I pray I'm wrong. But I read that passage from, from Animal Farm yesterday, and it broke me in a way because I really do believe that we're all patriotic, that we really all do love America. We love what it stands for. We love what good has come out of it. But so many are seeing the argument as either you ignore the bad things that have happened in the past or you accept them as the right path. And once again, choice structure destroys the argument, the discussion that we should be having. Because now we've all picked a side. And that's not the case. I refuse to pick a side. I'm not on the side of slavery good or slavery bad I'm on the side of it was terrible but it's in the past can we can we move on together and create a future where no other person would ever be held in slavery or captivity can we start by you uniting on the fact that there are currently slaves in this world who need to be liberated and you know something that really kind of um convicts me in my own heart is that there are people out there who are putting their their lives on the line their resources on the line some might say their lives their fortunes and their sacred honor putting that on the line to liberally literally free present-day slaves around the world 
without regard to the nationality, the race, or the religion, or the political leanings of these people. If there is a slave, there is a human being in need of liberation. That should be our mission. That should be where we can unite. Instead, we're focused on what happened 200 years ago. 150. And if that remains the case, we will never, we will never solve these problems. We'll simply pass the torch. Instead of African Americans being held in captivity, it'll be white people, or it'll be Asians, or it'll be the political minority, the dissenters, the one who dare jump on YouTube and say what they're not supposed to say. And that's my fear. But in it, there's also some hope that I'll leave you with. What we are seeing, I believe, is the result of God being excommunicated from our churches. We have taken Jesus and decided he's too divisive of a figure and said, thanks, Jesus, but I'm going to hang my, my cross up for a little bit. I think we can take it from here. If we need you, we'll call you back. Bye. And we're seeing the direct results of that. I'm not, I don't want to be one of these televangelists saying, we've kicked God out of our institutions, and now that's, that's why we've got so much poverty. Like, I'm not saying that. There's many factors, obviously. But one, I think one, at least personally for me, some of the, the depression, some of the, the angst, the anxiousness, the, all these things that so many people are feeling. You know, every person I talk to, it's just, how you been? Oh, you know, just hanging in there. Nobody's excited about life, it seems like. And I think that is a direct result of us kicking God out of our lives. And I say that referring to an article that will be in the show notes from Washington Post. Church membership in the U.S. has fallen below the majority for the first time in nearly a century. We cannot allow this to stand. It's, it's, it's time, people. I won't speak for you, but I'm going to speak for myself. I am done with COVID-19. The family members that I have that are concerned about it are getting the vaccine. I'm still not entirely decided if I'll get it yet. Hoping to God I've got anti antibodies and I don't, I don't need it, but there's a, a planned uh, mask burning, I think in Florida. And so suddenly all these people that were so pro you know, these people that fight for women's rights to there's, I think I saw like six States now where legally women can walk around topless people fighting for, um, breastfeeding in public. Don't shame me for performing a, a natural bodily function, which by the way, I agree with not because of, of anything. I'm a married man. Um, but just because I believe you know, whatever I, I can avert my eyes. You know, if I see something, it's like, all right, you do you. I'm going to go this direction. Same with Lil Nas. Don't like your video. I think it's it was immature, but go for it. More power to you. Enjoy. And so, anyway, so I'll, I'll, the hope that I see in this is we see one of the root problems of many of our of our issues, even if it's just our personal issues, be it depression or anxiety or just a general feeling of something's not right. 
And it's, I think it's time to start doing those things that a year ago we would have dared somebody to try to prevent us from doing. Really. I mean, I, I really think that just as, as, as recently as 2019, if somebody said that there was going to be a, a virus that came in, that we would be forced to wear masks, we'd be forced to stay in our homes, and we would be forced not to go to church, we'd be forced to do school, many of these college students paying full tuition, getting a shitty education remotely. I think many of us, just me personally, I would have laughed. I would have, there's no way that we would ever allow that to happen. I would never allow that to happen to me and my family. I wouldn't go almost a year or over a year seeing my mom just a small handful of times. And yet here we are. Here we are. So the hope, we got ourselves into the situation by allowing the just two weeks to flatten the curve. Just wear a mask. It's, it's for your neighbor. It's not for you. Do these things or you're a shitty human being. We allowed that to, to stand as once again another example of the right of the, the, the conservatives, the, the people who just want to be left alone by their government saying, oh, I hate this. I hate this. But I'll go along because there's other arguments that I need to make that don't have anything to do with masks. And so we go along to get along. Meanwhile, the oppressors, the tyrants, will never be satisfied with anything that we give them. Give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And that's where we're at. And I'm done. I'm done. I've given enough inches. I've given enough feet. I've given enough miles. I'm done. The mask is coming off. And my ass will be back in church with my wife on, on Easter Sunday. And I encourage you to do the same. Whether you wear a mask or not. I mean, I, I might wear a mask because I will be around a lot of predominantly older people. Science says they're at the highest risk. If they don't want to wear a mask, fine. I will wear a mask because it couldn't hurt as far as protecting their life, right? And I don't know who's vaccinated and who's not. So, yeah, I might wear a mask to protect those people. But I'm going to exercise my right to not be cooped up in my home. To go to my church to worship my God. And then I'm going to throw a rager on uh, 4th of July just because Biden alluded to maybe not allowing me to do so. So, middle fingers in the air. Goodbye, oppression. I'm done. Goodbye, COVID. Numbers are going down. We know who it affects. We can do this in a sane, ra rational, unifying way. But we can't be waiting for the political pundits, for the talking heads on CNN and on Fox and NBC and MSNBC and, and the Bidens and the Pisakis and the Fauci's. We can't be waiting on them to give us our marching orders. Since when has America waited for the politician to tell them what to do? It's completely backwards. So with that, I will leave you. Um, be encouraged because I believe there is an awakening um, and I think everybody is saying this. Anybody who who is trying to estimate any sort of um, trajectory for the future, it's all towards enlightenment. 
because right now we are in we are in that primordial soup that encourages um, change and that soup being chaos chaos is the great equalizer chaos is when wealth changes hands chaos is when new laws are written chaos is when new social norms are established or a reversion back to previous social norms that were conducive to a society that trusts one another so that's where i'll leave you um take that for what it's worth that's just my two cents be kind to one another and find those opportunities to love on each other and to find common ground with people uh went for a walk with the wife the other day passing passing by people all all the time nobody wants to to lock eyes with anybody but then one dude looked at me and smiled the biggest smile i've ever seen gave me a peace sign said how's it going man i said good he said awesome and he kept walking that encourages me and that's what i'll leave you with have a great rest of your week uh friday is good friday i don't know if i'll be recording we'll see what happens in the news uh i might try to put something out though and then um just have a good weekend and and fight for positive change (laughs) 